Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Um, so if you guys remember, last week Aaron Mueller was here, and he did a phenomenal job. He did a great job uh, talking about submission. right? And so it's such an important uh, topic. But at this point in um, First Peter, he transitions, kind of leaving that topic of submission. He's kind of saying, well, stick a pin in that. We'll come right back to that. All right. After the teaching on submission, Peter returns to the, the theme of suffering, which is really kind of the, the crux or the, the main point of this whole letter that Peter is writing to these churches spread throughout Asia Minor, living in these Roman provinces up there, and that are enduring persecution because people, um, the locals, as we talked about the first week, that the the Israelites, this was not their normal home. These people were dispersed because of persecution out of Jerusalem, out of Palestine, and they landed up here in Asia Minor. And the people in these Roman provinces didn't trust them. They looked at them as outsiders. They they didn't trust them. They they were... um, they didn't have all the rights that all the, the citizens had. They were a little bit above slaves, but they were below the normal citizens. And so they were enduring persecution. People didn't trust them. They weren't allowed to work the same jobs, and they had to pay higher taxes, all this stuff. And so Peter is writing this letter, encouraging the churches here to live well in the face of this persecution. And he's trying to explain to them what that good life looks like. So he returns back to our theme of suffering. And let's read uh, 13 and 14. It says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. All right? And Peter is saying that in general, people are not going to persecute you if you are doing good. They're not going to harm you if you're living well. Right? Peter just finished talking about submission. Submission to your spouse. Submission to governmental authorities. Submission to your boss. And so if you are living well, if you are loving and living in submission within your community, why would people persecute you? Why are you going to to suffer? Why are they going to try to get rid of you if you are lending a hand, if you are helping in that community? But, whoa, settle down. But um, he understands, Peter understands where these people are at, right? He understands that they are not trusted. He understands that they are enduring persecution. And I believe he understands that the level of suffering, the level of persecution in the Roman Empire is rising at this time and that they are going to have to face and be ready for even um, increased levels of persecution and increased levels of suffering. And Peter says, you know, even if it, you know, generally, if you do good, you're not going to be harmed. But if you do suffer for what is right, there is a blessing. And that's kind of hard to, to grip. It's like, oh, I, I'm going to suffer, but there's a blessing. What is this blessing? You know, what, what does that look like? And, and we have to remember, in, in light of, of Peter's letter here, that his focus, right, is on our eternal hope. That we are heading somewhere. We are heading to eternity. Excuse me. We're heading to eternity in the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus Christ returns. Right? And so we see this word blessed here in First Peter is the same word that Jesus uses over and over again in the Beatitudes. And so I just want to uh, turn real quickly. This isn't in the notes. This is a freebie. 
um, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. And, and Jesus says in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, he's telling his followers, that there will be trouble. There will be persecution that you will have to endure. But don't worry, there is a reward waiting for you in heaven. And and sometimes, for me, it's like, well, okay, I'm enduring persecution. Where's my reward? Where's my reward? You know, and we want it right now. We live in a culture, right, that when we're hungry, um, we can just drive through a a, a drive-through, right, and have food in 30 seconds, right? It's anything we want. We want, you know, I'm so spoiled. Like, if I hear a song that I like and I'm like, I want that album, I can download it. Right from my phone. I don't have to go to the store. I don't have to do anything. I can get my reward immediately. And so I'm just used to that, right? We're just used to it. I want something, I'm just going to get it right now. But this reward that Peter is talking about and the reward that Jesus is, is promising is not immediate. It's not in the here and now. It is our eternal reward. And it is, it's, it, that is our hope. That is what we're looking forward to. And, and that might sound not as much fun, but it's so good. Right. Who, you know, uh, who remembers um, when you were growing up? It seemed like December was the slowest month of the year. Right. It took forever. And my grandma made me this great. um, It was like a felt Christmas tree. And each day you would put another ornament on it to to track it. And it was it felt like your time was moving through molasses. It was like. It's like, when is it going to come? But there is so much anticipation, right? There's so much excitement. And so when we finally got to Christmas morning, it was amazing. And it's like, oh, the reward was so good because we endured the trials of the long December, right? And so it's so good. That's the reward that we're looking for. But it's going to be way better than Christmas. It's going to be like the ultimate Christmas. And um, as I was preparing this, I, I remember um, there is... Uh, this is when my kids were little, we used to get Cracker Jacks. Cracker, anybody? Cracker Jacks? And when you eat the Cracker Jacks, there's a prize in it, right? And there's a prize in it. Great. I get, and it's probably something kind of junky, usually. But it's exciting because their kids like it. They don't care what it is. They just want that little thing. Um, and so my kids would like Cracker Jacks. They'd get their prize. Okay. And then there was also another kind of prize you could get. I can't remember what it was. I don't think it was Cracker Jacks. But you would save up UPC things and that you would put them in an envelope with a couple bucks and you'd send it away. And I remember Joshy was, I was probably two or three. And we were living at a house in Portage uh, on Sprinkle Road. And we, we sent these UPC seals in. We were going to get a SID blanket from Ice Age. Does anybody remember Ice Age? A great, that was a great movie, and it was, so Sid, who is Sid, is that the, the squirrel? The sloth, yeah, it was the sloth, that's right. So we sent away for that, and like, we sent away, and so we know that our, our reward is coming. Josh is waiting for that reward. So for every day, he goes out to the mailbox, like we literally, right, we put the letter in, he goes out to the mailbox, oh, it's still not there, it's still not there. I'm like, well, the letter hasn't even got to the company yet, Josh, you gotta, you know, it's coming, it's coming, right? And so eventually, it takes so long that all of us just forget about the thing. We just forget. You know, it's been weeks and weeks. And eventually, we move out of that house. 
we leave the Sprinkle Roadhouse and we move uh, to Portage, where we live now, to, to Circlewood Drive. And one day, all of a sudden, there's a box in the, the mailbox. And we, we're like, what is this thing? And we open it up, and it's this Sid blanket. It's, it's like, oh, I, I, like, I, we forgot about this, right? And, and so it's like, and it was more substantial than something you could get out of a Cracker Jack box, right? The Cracker Jack was immediate, and then it was gone. But this blanket, it's still in my house. The Sid blanket endures. You know, that is the good reward. And so we have to endure patiently waiting for our reward, so that is what Peter is talking about. That is a long illustration for a very short part of our passage. But I think that's so good. I think that that is the, the crux of, of what Peter is trying to say, that we aren't living for the immediate. We're not living for our Cracker Jack prize. We're living for our eternal reward, right, our, in the presence of Jesus, right? And God says that we will get rewards in heaven. And what does that look like? I don't know, but I promise you it is going to be so good. It's going to be so good. So Peter is saying, if you suffer for what is right, there is going to be a blessing. Hold on for that blessing. And then he says, do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. And here Peter is quoting Isaiah chapter 8. And in the, in the book of Isaiah, we see at this time that Ahaz is the king of Israel, get this right, Ahaz is the king of Israel, and these two kingdoms, Assyria and another kingdom, are, are coming to attack him. And Ahaz secretly makes a deal with the king of Assyria so that things will go better for him, so he doesn't get thwomped like he would, so that when they take over, you know, maybe they give him a nice house on the lake or something, right? So Ahaz makes this deal with Assyria, and then Isaiah comes in, and he, he says this, he says, we're uh, just jumping into the middle of his prophecy. Isaiah says, don't call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. And so we see this prophecy, this discourse coming from Isaiah that's saying, don't give in to this. Don't live in fear. You know, don't you know, uh, sell the house yet because the king of Assyria is coming, right? You have to trust in the Lord, is what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, trust in the Lord and hold on to, the, to God's victory in your life, that he is going to see you through, right? Don't trust in your own um, strength. Don't trust in your own armies. Don't trust in your own political schemings. Trust in God, right? And so Ahaz, he kind of gave up. He wanted to, to make a deal with Assyria, and Isaiah is saying, no, Trust in God. And so Peter is calling to the Christians here in Asia Minor. He's saying, don't give in to the people. Don't give in to the culture that is coming against you. Don't give in to those who want you to stop acting like Christians and those who want you to, to act more like them. Don't give in to them just because it maybe will make life a little bit easier. But he's saying, don't fear them. Hold on. Trust in God. And so Peter tells them, stop it. Uh, that persecution is real, but it is rare. You know, we, um, especially in America, right, persecution is very rare, though throughout the world it is, there are Christians who are enduring intense suffering and intense persecution, and we don't want to make light of that, right? But here in America, we, persecution is rare, but even when we do endure persecution, when we do endure suffering, we are supposed to do it in a way that is not giving in to fear. We are to stand strong, confident in Christ Jesus. 
And Peter continues to say, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for, your, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. He says, don't give in to fear, but revere Christ in your heart as your Lord. He's saying instead of fearing, instead of worrying about conspiracies, instead of worrying that the culture is coming to get us and uh, we're going to lose our tax status or we're going to, you know, whatever the, the fear is, right? We want to, instead of living out of place of fear, we want to live out of place where we revere Christ as Lord. That the, the center of our being is Jesus Christ. It's so easy, right? Especially, you know, when we, we watch the news and we see what's happening in the Supreme Court. We see where the culture seems to be going. And it's easy, right, to kind of fall into this place of fear and worry and like, oh, what's going on? And America's going to come crumbling down. And oh, no, it's fearful. But Peter is saying, Jesus says, don't fear. Jesus says it three times in the Gospel of Matthew. Don't fear. Don't worry, right? And so we follow Christ. We listen to Peter and we don't fear. We're not afraid of what is going to happen. We are going to trust in God. We are going to trust that God is the Lord, that he is sovereign, that he is victorious, and that he is going to see us through. Remember, this is all in the context of remembering that we are looking forward to an eternal hope that we can endure whatever comes against us as we remember Christ's victory in our eternal hope. All right? And so, instead of fear and worry, we are to be ready, Peter says, to share the reason for our hope. So we revere Christ as Lord in our hearts. We live out of that. We're confident that Jesus is in control. And we are ready with an answer or an explanation to anyone who asks us. We want to make sure that we're utilizing every opportunity to shine the light, to be the, the salt that Christ has called us to be in our world. We need to have an answer. We have to be able to say why it is that we feel so confident in Jesus Christ in the face of all that the culture or our community or our, you know, the world around us is throwing at us. Because as we um, live out of this hope, people are going to ask us questions, right? As we um, live out of this hope and we refuse to live out of a place of fear, we refuse to stand in a place of judgment or being uh, superior or, or holier than thou, right? As we live out of hope and confidence, people will ask us questions. I don't know how many times when I was working at, at Fox Brothers, um, I, was a, I was a Christian, right? And I was I was not I didn't hide that fact right so I just and people people knew that about me and they also knew that I didn't do some of the things that they would do right and I didn't you know go out partying with them after work and I didn't they would stay at after work they would stay at Fox Brothers and they would play um, 20, 21 blackjack they would play blackjack and, and drink they they had a fridge that's just that's just full of booze. All, and they would just wait for 5 o'clock to come, and they would close, the, lock the doors, and they would just drink and play 21, or blackjack. And they're like, why don't you want to do this? I'm like, I've got three kids and a wife at home. I, gotta, I can't hang out with you guys. And, and they didn't have the best relationships um, overall. But I, anyway, so I didn't live like those guys. I'm getting off, getting off on a tangent here. I didn't live like those guys. And so I would be the, 
sometimes the butt of a joke, right? I would kind of endure criticism, like, oh, you know, going home to your wife. Like, like, that's a bad Anyway, it's such a, it's a whole different culture, right? And so, but I had to endure that, right? But I lived in a hope, but that same hope that I lived with, no, confident in Jesus, living well before my father, it also gave me opportunities to share the reason for that hope. When they were going through something, you know, they were going through a hard time, which tended to come up more often than not, it seemed, they would come to me and they would ask me, like, oh, well, what do you think about this? And, you know, some, you know, your marriage seems better, you know, blah, 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 you know, or whatever it is. And it gave me an opportunity to share with them. Right? And then Peter says that we should do it out of gentleness and respect. Right? And, and really, this is the biblical posture of evangelism. You know, if I would have come into to Fox Brothers and stood on the front counter with my gigantic Bible, you know, like saying, you know, turn or burn, friends, right? Uh, you know, it's like, it's not, you know, you know, that probably wouldn't have been very effective, right? But as I lived my life enduring their persecution, it's, I feel bad calling it persecution in the face of what's happening in, in the world, but enduring, you know, their jabs, you know, it gave me opportunity to share. And as I was gentle and respectful, it opened a door for me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, Peter, where are we going? Peter, oh, 3.16. He says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ might be ashamed of their slander. So as I live, or as we live in gentleness and respect, as we try to share the, the truth of Jesus, as we endure suffering, you know, living out of confidence and, and hope and trust in Jesus, we are able to walk in a clear conscience, right? And so a good conscience removes the, it removes the, the fear inside of us of what other people might know about us or say against us or do to us, right? We, can, we don't have to worry about that stuff because we know that we're living right before God. We're living right before man. And this clear conscience as we, as we walk in confidence is essential to, living in, or to giving uh, and sharing this message of hope. As we, as I walked, I just keep using myself as an example, just put yourself in my place, right? As I, I walked through Fox Brothers, not, you know, prideful and not, you know, arrogant, like, oh, you poor sinners. Somebody tweet that. Mark said. Whew. All right. Uh, clear conscience is essential to have a message of hope. Where are we? All right. So as so we walk in a, in, a, in a clear conscience, it gives us opportunity to share, to be the, the salt and the light that we are called to be. And it is essential for us to endure accusation. We need to have a clear conscience when we endure accusation. And unfortunately, this is a when and not an if, if we Listen to what Jesus said in chapter 5, which we read earlier, or 2 Timothy, which is a letter from the Apostle Paul, who says, Yes, and all you who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All right? It is going to happen. And so if we are able to have a clear conscience, it is going to enable us to endure this accusation because when people are firing their darts at us when they're accusing us of our of our stuff we can know oh 
They've got nothing on me. You know, my conscience is clear. And, and our good conduct will be an, uh, a defense against their accusation. And, sorry. And so as we, as we live with this good conduct, with a, with a clear conscience, you know, if we stray away from that, it really uh, disables us from being able to, to make an impact, right? If I was just living like everybody else at Fox Brothers, if I was just hanging out, playing 21 and, and drinking, and then going home to my wife at 10, 11 o'clock at night, you know, they wouldn't, when they were having issues in their marriage, they're not going to come and talk to me. Right? Because I'm just doing just the same stuff. My marriage is in as much trouble as theirs. Right? But if I live, you know, right before God, as I in, you know, endure whatever jokes they're going to make because I go home and spend time with my wife and kids at night, it, op- it gives me an opportunity to share the gospel, to share with them the, the good news of Jesus. It allows us to make an impact. And so I think that Peter is saying that when we live well in the community, we can make an impact. We can change the, the culture, right? But if we run away because we're living in fear, if we go, you know, I'm just going to stay over here in my little Christian bubble because it's safe and these people understand me and they don't make fun of me because, you know, I spend Sunday mornings dancing and singing, Right? then we are not going to be able to make an impact. We can't impact this community if we hide inside the church. You know? And so what a great opportunity we have on August 16th. We're going to go out into the community, and we're going to have worship and teaching out at the park, but we're also just going to have fun. We're going to have food, and we're going to invite the neighbors in. Right? And maybe we'll get to share the gospel with some people. Maybe we won't, but we will be able to represent the gospel. Right? By just being neighborly and just by loving them. We will be salt and light in this, this world and they will learn that oh, maybe if they're having trouble, they can come to New Day and they can find an answer. They can find help when they need it. So we want to live with clear conscience in our community. All right. I need to speed up. All right. 1 Peter three seventeen through 18 says, for it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And so Peter, once again, says that doing good is better regardless of the cost. Right? And so he keeps driving this point home. Right? We saw it in uh, chapter 2. Uh, he talks about enduring suffering, right? And he talked about it just a verse ago. He talks about it now. He's going to talk about it again in chapter 4. Like, this is the point. The point is, it is good to endure suffering regardless of what comes against you. And we are, the reason that we endure suffering is because we are following the example of Jesus Christ. And so we can see here in verse 18, is like this little baby summary of the gospel, It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Right? That is the gospel. That is the truth. Jesus died when we were God's enemies, and he has brought us back. We've been made new in God's presence through the power of the resurrection. Right? 
And so that is the gospel is a, a pattern for us in our suffering. If we endure suffering, just like Jesus endured suffering, though he never did anything wrong. Right. If we endure suffering and we do it for good and because of our message of hope, we will bring others to God. Right. All right. Now, Mark, you're just repeating yourself. And really, but that's the, the main point. Right. That we endure suffering, that we hold on to hope. We we live out of confidence in Jesus that we are going to be in the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity. And as we live that out, other people are going to see that and follow us. And hopefully we'll have a chance to bring them into relationship with Jesus. And we see that Jesus literally died in the flesh and was raised by the Spirit here in in verse 18. And we are also to follow that example, continually dying to the flesh. Right, dying to all the garbage that we used to live in, you know, before we were saved, all this the stuff that just leads to death and destruction, really, right? We're supposed to turn away from that and live according to the power of the Spirit, to live newness of life that God has birthed inside us and God has promised us, that God has empowered us to walk out. All right, and then we get to the the, the trickiest part of first Peter. This is this is gonna be this is gonna be good. This is going to be fun. First Peter three nineteen to twenty two, he says, uh, going along uh, along this same teaching. After being made alive, Jesus was made alive by the Spirit. He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Well, that's a weird thing to do. To those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. Now, this is just getting weirder. Okay, okay, waiting patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. All right. In the ark, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. All right. So the beginning of that verse is kind of odd. Right? Talking about imprisoned spirits and that are they're back in the, in the time of Noah and, and what's going on. And so I was uh, doing some research and my favorite commentary, or the favorite commentary that I have on First Peter is written by this guy named Scott McKnight. And he says this about this passage. Few passages have so many themes and different ideas intertwined. It is no wonder that commentators have shaken their heads in despair. I'm like, well, that's... You're not giving me much hope here, Scott McKnight. Give me a little bit of something, you know. I'm just a first-year seminarian. What I'm just, I'm just, I'm not a commentary, right? And so we're just, I need some help here. He says, but the main point is not complex. Good. Shoosh. Just as Jesus suffered as a righteous man and was vindicated, so too, if the churches of Peter live righteously, as he has exhorted them to do, they will be vindicated and sit with Jesus in the presence of God. Oh, I like that. That's good. So we see that instead of getting bogged down with this, like, oh, who are these imprisoned spirits? And does that mean, you know, there's a, you know, some people think that that is a, uh, an opportunity for, for people that have gone to, that are in hell or who died before, you know, without coming to Jesus, that this is a, a second chance for them to, to come to Jesus. And if, they, if you believe that, there is, there is so many verses that make that 
you have to get around a lot if you, if you believe that. And so that can't really mean that. Okay, it can't mean that. You know, and maybe it, some people thought that it refers to just like, well, you know, Jesus is, the, the testimony of Jesus is interwoven, you know, throughout the Old Testament. And so maybe it's just kind of saying that all the, the testimony of, of Jesus was prophesying as Jesus rose from the dead. And that's kind of weird as well. But what seems to make the most sense and it seems the most straightforward is that what uh, Peter is saying here is that it was in the death and the resurrection of Christ that the message was declared or preached to principalities and powers, right? To all the angels and the demons, right? And that also seems kind of weird, but it's, we see in Jude uh, verse 6 that uh, Paul makes reference, no, Jude makes reference, excuse me. Jude. Jude makes reference to these um, these fallen angels that are kind of in limbo, waiting for uh, the you know for for judgment, right? And so some people think that maybe in Jesus's uh, ascension, you know, from being uh, crucified, that he went and he here we, you know he preached or he declared his victory to these fallen angels, maybe. Possibly. I think it corroborates uh, Colossians 2.15 that says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so what I think that Peter is trying to say here, right, in, in a relatively confusing way for us in our time, it was probably much more clear when he wrote it, but he's saying that Jesus is victorious. And that in his ascension, he went and declared that victory to all the spirits, all the powers, all the angels, all the demons. And he says, I am the king. I am seated on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and I am the victory. And I think that is what Peter is saying. And he uses that kind of weird transition. His intention is to talk about the idea of baptism. And we see in the, the story of Noah that it is a picture of baptism that they were, you know, they were uh, saved, you know, because of the waters of baptism or the waters of the flood and baptism. We can talk more about that. We're running out of time, friends. Uh, baptism, Peter says, is not simply the washing off Dirt, but spiritual cleansing that produces a good conscience. Oh, we just talked about this a couple of verses ago in verse 18, 19, 18. That we want to have a, a good conscience, right? That in the baptism, the removal of the, the spiritual, spiritual junk in our lives, right? It allows us to walk in good conscience. And Peter is saying that the power of baptism is the resurrection, Right. The power of baptism is not the literal getting dunked in the tank. Right. That ultimately doesn't have any power in itself, but it is a symbol of our uh, identification with Jesus Christ, that we identify ourselves in his death and in his resurrection. And that resurrection power indwells us and brings us into newness of life. And Paul says in chapter six, he says, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. 
So Peter is saying that you have a new life. You are empowered by the power of of the resurrection. You have a new life as you identify yourself with Jesus Christ through baptism. And that allows you to live with a good conscience. That allows you to live well in, in the face of persecution, in the face of suffering, right? That empowers you to do what God has called you to do. All right, we're nearing the, the we're coming in for a landing. First Peter four, verse one and two. So Peter says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, we just talk about Jesus' death and his resurrection, you know, in his his willingness to endure suffering while doing what was right. He says, since uh, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, also arm yourselves with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And so this is our response, right? As we see all that Jesus endured for us, our response is to have the same attitude, to follow in Jesus' footsteps, to do what he did, to endure suffering, you know, even while we are doing good, even while it is not fair. And we're willing to do that for the sake of those around us, for the sake of those who are watching us. And again, we see Paul uh, talk about this in Romans. He says, For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Right? He's saying that you are done with that stuff. You have identified yourself with Christ. You have been uh, cleaned through, through the resurrection, through baptism. Right? And you no longer need to live in the, the lusts of the flesh, all that junk that just leads to death and destruction. Right? Now you can live empowered by Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit. You can live out the will of God. So we don't need to live in our human desires. We live for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. I could spend a whole slide talking about things, these things, but basically, right, this stuff is all junk that people live in, that they kind of, that they use, right, because they feel hopeless or they feel lost, right? And so they try to live in this other stuff, but it only... Uh, you know, it leads to death and destruction. It feels nice for a time, you know, debauchery and lust and drunkenness. And it's where the culture is pointing us. And it is, it's the path that's easier to follow in, in our world today and in Peter's world, you know, some 2000 years ago. Right. But this stuff, Peter is saying, you've spent enough time doing this. You've spent enough time doing stuff that is, that is garbage in your lives. And, and so we see that Peter is probably talking to, to Gentile believers. These guys, they used to, to, to be pagans. They used to, to worship pagan idols, right? And this stuff was probably part and parcel of the worship of their idols, the worship of, of their gods. And so Peter is saying, you need to turn away from that stuff because it only leads to death. And those same people that you used to party with, that you used to worship with, that you used to bow down to idols with, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Right? And I'm sure as we, as Christians, we've all had to endure that. You know, people asking you, what do you mean you're not going to 
go to the bar tonight? You know, what do you mean you're, you're not going to look at this magazine with me? Or what do you, what do you mean you're not going to watch that kind of movie? What, what's wrong with you? you? You're a pansy or blah, blah, blah. What's wrong with you? I've never, never heard that. All right, sometimes. Um, but we just, they, they don't live like we do. I'm going to skip that. And we can't expect them to because non, uh, non-Christians, they don't have the same worldview that we have, right? They, they are not going to live up to our own biblical standards. So when we cry out and say, Why are you, you shouldn't do that and you're, you're bad. And they're like, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. You know, they, don't, they don't see the world like we see it. But if we live in gentleness and respect, if we live not out of fear but in hope, we will have opportunity to show the truth to them. In here in verse 5, Peter is basically saying that it's God's job to judge and to hold them accountable, not ours. And that is hard for us to do sometimes. But it is God's job to judge. And it is our job to show hope, to show the love of Jesus, to be there, to be a, a shoulder to cry on, to be uh, you know, a, a help when they, they need something, to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world and show them what living a life of hope is like and how much better it is than living in death and destruction. Friends, last slide. Good news. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Right? And so Peter, I believe, this is another one, is a little bit challenging, but I think that the easiest understanding is that he's just contrasting with verse 5. You know, he's saying that, God is the judge. You know, he is, is going to, to judge people, and we, we can't do it. And we are also going to die in regards to the body. You know, you know, unbelievers are going to die. We are ultimately going to die. But unlike unbelievers, because of our faith in Christ, we will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth, in resurrected bodies, right, in regards to the Spirit. I think that is what he's saying. That, yeah... Everybody is going to die. Everybody is going to face that judgment. But unlike those who die without Christ, you and I, as Christ followers, are going to be resurrected, living in new bodies in a perfect world with Jesus Christ. And so what does this all mean for us? It means that as we follow Christ's example, as we endure whatever suffering or whatever persecution comes our way, as we live the best that we possibly can, you know, and we live lives that, that proclaim our, our hope and our trust and our love in Jesus. We can live without fear. We don't have to fear what the Supreme Court is doing. Right? We don't have to fear what our, our friends at work are saying or thinking about us. Right? We don't have to worry about what, what the government is doing. We can trust that God is in control and that he is victorious. He has proclaimed his victory to all of the spiritual realm, and we can hold on to that victory, and we can live out of that knowing that we have an eternal hope. Amen. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are victorious. Jesus Christ, we thank you that you died on the cross, but you rose again through the power of the Spirit. God, and help us to live not from a place of fear, but from a place of trust. God, we trust you. God, whatever is going on in our family, God, whatever is going on at work, God, whatever is going on with our, our friends, 
God, whatever's going on with our health, whatever's going on with our finances, God, we trust you because we know that our victory is in you and that we have an eternal reward waiting for us. We don't just want the Cracker Jack box, God. We want the good stuff. So we hold on to hope. Yeah. Amen.